Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Burns. I'm a doctor of natural medicine specializing in the treatment of infertility by a natural and integrative method. I founded the Naturna Institute in New York City, where my team and I work with women and couples, often in collaboration with Western medical doctors, to guide the path to healthy conception. In this podcast, you'll learn all about your body and everything in the fertility landscape to help you realize your dream of baby. I'll be bringing the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility heroes on their path to baby. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi ladies, welcome back. I am delighted you are here with me today. Today's topic is tackling low ovarian reserve and just some tidbits about it. Low ovarian reserve is really tricky because it does not respond to IVF and conventional medical treatment very well. Usually when you have low ovarian reserve and you go in for an IVF cycle, uh, the medications don't really do much. Like You don't get an abundance of eggs like you would if you had high ovarian reserve. So a low ovarian reserve is defined at an ovarian reserve under one. So that's an AMH of under one and generally correlated with low antral follicle counts. So that's like if they go in and do the ultrasound um, on day two or three of your period and they're looking at your ovaries and they just only see like a few follicles hanging out there. Follicles contain eggs, by the way, or should contain eggs. Um, and just in case you didn't know what those were. So, so yeah, it presents a major issue for women undergoing fertility treatment that if they have the ovarian reserve, uh, it's harder for them to get results. And then, you know, when you're trying on your own, which I'm not saying is a bad option, but it's really a mystery. Like you really don't know what's going on in there or why it's not working. Uh, IVF can be helpful in certain cases, just in certain cases, because it can be also diagnostic. Like you go and do an IVF cycle and then you don't produce a lot of eggs and then you at least know that your ovaries aren't responding all that well. So there are a lot of reasons why someone may have low ovarian reserve. Um, high stress levels for a long time can um, you know, deplete the ovarian reserve. A lot of genetic predisposition. So if your mom told you she went through menopause at like age 35 or something, then you would probably be more predisposed to having low ovarian reserve. It's sometimes hard to tell with our parents because you know, in their generations, they were maybe having kids a bit earlier than us. So they weren't always running into the same kind of issues that we're running into. Um, one of the things that people are less aware of that can cause low ovarian reserve is toxin exposure. Uh, when I was writing my book, I was sifting all sorts of articles to try to figure out how exactly toxins affect us. I knew that they affected our fertility in numerous ways, like exacerbating endometriosis or PCOS, um, maybe causing the FSH to shoot up. And I learned more and more and more about how it actually depletes ovarian reserve. So there was a study done on like 30,000 women that showed that women who had higher levels of toxins in their system went into menopause two years earlier than those who didn't. And that uh, women who ate food written in pesticides were less likely to have IVF success. And that 
there are certain toxins that correlate with uh, low follicle counts. So it was really interesting. And it's not just one toxin. It's like BPA or mercury and other heavy metals. So it's kind of coming at us from a bunch of different angles. And we're not always aware of where we're kind of meeting with these toxins. So I wanted to just use this segment to draw a little bit of attention to this and highlight some of the things that you can do. We're going to be more focused on the toxin aspect of it in this episode, though there are are other things that are relevant too. And then there are some strategies to, to improve upon it also. So one of the things you can do is obviously eat organic. So I mentioned the pesticides. I was kind of already alluding towards that. And you don't have to eat 100% organic because I know sometimes it's hard to access organic food or maybe it gets really expensive. Um, So one of the things that you can do is you can look at the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 lists online. And those are updated every year. And they will describe uh, which foods are the most ridden ridden in pesticides and which ones have Uh, less of a chance of having a lot of pesticides on them. So the clean 15 are the ones that you can eat that don't, that can be conventional, meaning they don't have to be organic and they won't be totally loaded with pesticides. The dirty dozen are the loaded with pesticides ones. Like these are the ones you definitely should not eat conventional. You should definitely eat them organic. And those are things like celery and spinach and blueberries and kale. And and they're definitely obviously the rest of the 12 on that list. And they do change every year. Strawberries were another one. So check out those lists so you can figure out that if you can't eat 100% organic for whatever reason, that you're at least going to be avoiding the dirty dozen and doing the clean 15 and kind of working around it that way. You can also, depending on what season and what climate you live in, you can also go to the farmer's market and talk to the farmers. They don't always get certified organic because it's very expensive for them. So you can just be ask them, like if they're not certified, just say, do you spray? And they're going to answer you honestly. And if they spray, you know, maybe it's not the ideal for you. Um, but there are a lot that aren't necessarily certified organic that are not treating their stuff with pesticides. They're doing organic farming methods. They're just not paying for the certification. All right, so um, the eating organic or, or avoiding the pesticides uh, is one thing that you can do. Another thing that you want to draw attention to is your exposure to heavy metals. So heavy metals are coming at us through our drinking water. They're coming at us through like car exhaust and cleaning products and fish. And so we don't always have that much control over what we're breathing and what we touch and, um, you know, that we don't know if we're being exposed all the time, but you can certainly control what kind of fish you're eating. So my recommendation is to eat low mercury fish. And there is uh, information on that online too. The FDA has a list of your high mercury fish and your safer versions. And so the high mercury fish as a general rule are going to be larger fish. So swordfish and tuna are going to be more laden with mercury than maybe other ones would. And so the little fish, sort of the sole, for example, or like example, like Dover sole, that's going to be a better option for you. Maybe trout. Salmon is a larger fish, but it doesn't seem to have high concentrations of metals. So that one's okay. Spanish mackerel. But make sure to check out those lists because um, the mercury is definitely associated with um, depleted follicle counts and depleted ovarian reserve. And the thing is like this can happen prematurely. It's generally associated with age, but I've seen tons 
tons of women in their early 30s and late 20s having low ovarian reserve. And I myself have it. So I had definitely been kind of considering these strategies for myself too. We will get right back to today's episode in just a sec. But I didn't want to miss the opportunity to tell you about an exciting new project that I have underway. So here it is. I get a lot of questions about what to eat and avoid when trying to get pregnant. Since so many of you are interested in optimizing your fertility via nutrition, I've created a very special course that teaches you the ins and outs of just that. It hasn't launched yet, but keep your eyes and ears peeled from my course on fertility nutrition. Whether you are already undergoing IVF or just trying the old-fashioned way, my goal is to help give you all the nutritional tools you need to enhance your fertility and speed your path to baby. All right, let's jump back in. Another place that we're hitting um, heavy metals is in our drinking water. And so I'm a big fan of getting a water filter that filters out metals. I personally use the Berkey and I get nothing for advertising them. So there's no like affiliate link or anything like that. But um, they're a great filter. I find the water tastes really good. Uh, I've also tried Proper, um, P-R-O-P-U-R. They're good too. I personally like the Berkey a bit better, but you could really go with either. The Proper is a little bit less expensive. I don't think either of them are breaking the bank. Um, and then you can get you know full-blown systems put into your house if you want to do that. It depends on if you're renting or if you own or if that's affordable for you. The Brita is not going to do it. The Brita just filters out basically chlorine and some microorganisms. It's really not filtering out a lot of the bad stuff. So um, stick with one of the more heavy-duty versions. BPA is another toxin that we would definitely want to avoid. And BPA comes in plastics and cans um, a lot of the time. And so we're exposed to that when we're drinking a lot of you know, water bottle, uh, water bottle plastics or heating our food in plastics. Sometimes it's takeout. And honestly, like all of our food is packaged in plastic these days. If you go to the grocery store, it's really weird. Um, you know, I get it. It's kind of guarding it from some germs and things, but then, you know, we're, ha- we're kind of bombarded by plastics everywhere. And then cans, you know, a lot of people are drinking drinks out of cans. There's food out of cans too. Obviously we have our soups and our coconut milk and and um, beans and and such things like that. So when possible, uh, use dried beans, um, use coconut milk out of like cartons. You know, we've just got to try to find other sources. I find most of the time people are getting the BPA through cans. So um, through cans that they're drinking. So, you know, seltzer or uh, soda pop, beer, for example, Um, You know, check out if your hubby is drinking a lot of beers because he could be just loaded with BPA. And the acidic nature of a lot of the carbonated drinks, including beer, will kind of leach a lot more toxin into the liquid. So be really careful about cans. Um, Try to drink more out of glass bottles or um, stainless steel. Those are going to be safer for you. And, uh, you know, you'll be reducing the impact. So there are many more toxins out there, but I wanted to just cover some of the main ones so that you had some action items to start with. And, you know, if you know the main ones that you'd be getting exposed to, you can obviously start avoiding them. Um, So I mentioned, you know, um, what kind of fish to aim for eating. Um, Also, one thing I didn't mention was that farmed fish are often high in PCBs and dioxins, which aren't exactly fertility friendly. So while you're avoiding high mercury fish, um, make sure to be eating wild also. 
I mentioned, um, you know, watching out for cans uh, and, you know, trying to drink more out of glass bottles. Uh, Another thing is the eating organic or at least avoiding the more pesticide laden foods. Other strategies are to, you know, clean up your cosmetics and your household cleaning products and just make sure that those are going to be, you know, cleaner, greener versions. And then you might want to consider doing a detox of sorts where you, you know, clean up your diet for a few weeks just to give your body a chance to clean out. And that would involve eating more plant-based foods, less meats and um, dairy and bread products and things like that. And Obviously, there's more to a detox, but it might be worth considering endeavoring to do something like that. We can certainly guide you through that at the Naturna Institute. You can reach out to us. I would not recommend um, doing a really involved one, like say a fast where you're just drinking juices or water for you know weeks at a time. That is too extreme for when you're trying to get pregnant. Uh, so there are more gentle, um, easy ways that you can do like a detox program without it turning your life life upside down. Um, and, you know, ones that will kind of fit seamlessly into your day to day. I hope this was helpful and look forward to diving into more info for you in the coming episodes. Take care and have a good one. Really happy you've tuned in and joined the community, and I'm so excited to bring you more helpful content with each episode. In order to make this podcast as helpful as possible, I want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey. You can DM me on Instagram at at Naturna underscore life or at naturally CB to share your most important fertility related questions. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share with friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.